Welcome to the May 3rd Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 18, and the sermon is entitled, Closing Words of Colossians, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Well, as we begin today, we're going to finish up a continuum of sermons throughout uh, the last two years. I've been preaching a series called the GE Power Company series, GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And today is the very last sermon of Colossians, the last sermon of the last book. Uh, It's amazing that we've gotten to this point after two years, 79 sermons. This is sermon number 79 of the entire series, sermon number 19 of the Colossians walk. And so I am so thankful that you've joined me and shared these uh, moments with me as we have studied four great letters of the missionary Paul. Uh, And as we open this letter today, I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Get your Bible open, get ready as we're going to study that word As I said early on in this study, Paul is absolutely an amazing man. I believe that he is one of the most intelligent people who ever walked the face of the earth. Of course, he grew up a Jew. He was committed to God. He was committed to godly things. But when Jesus Christ came to the world, Paul as a Jew, Saul at that point, hated the ministry of Jesus. It is highly likely in my mind that Saul saw Jesus die on the cross. And Saul, in a certain way in his heart, even celebrated that death because he wanted Jesus off the scene. He did not at all like or appreciate the ministry of Jesus Christ. When the church was founded, the ministry arm of Jesus' ministry, Paul hated the church. He hated the church so much that he strove to kill it He strove to persecute Christians who were following the way of Jesus Christ. But then Jesus met Paul, Saul, on the road to Damascus. And in the coming days, that man committed to destroying the church was saved. And he became a child of God, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. And his life turned 180 degrees. He completely changed directions. When he once hated a Savior and once hated his church, he now loved the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. And at that moment, and with that change and with that salvation, his life changed into supporting the church, founding the church, loving the church, preaching the love of Jesus Christ across the Roman Empire. It is amazing that when Jesus moved into Paul's heart, he became a completely different individual. Paul actually fulfilled some of the words that he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He became a new man. He became a new creation in Jesus Christ. Everything of his past was completely gone and forgiven, and he was established in the love of Christ and established to be a son of God in the ministry of Christ. He was a new creation. He didn't just turn over a new leaf. He became a new man. And instead of destroying the church, now his life was dedicated to building the church and establishing congregations, traveling all over the Roman Empire, preaching the love of Christ, seeing people saved, taking those pockets of Christians in new areas, pioneer areas where perhaps the name of Jesus had never been heard. And he took those brand new Christians and he established churches all over the Roman Empire as he traveled. He became the world's greatest missionary. There was no land too far that he wouldn't go to. There was no man so lost that he wouldn't witness to. 
He believed that the love of Christ is for every single person. We believe that truth as well. There is no person in this world who is below or too sinful for the salvation of Jesus the Christ. We need to preach that. We need to teach that. We need to live that. We need to witness that. We're responsible as the children of God as we walk out into the world to carry that good news. So Paul's zeal for Christ led him to be a preacher all over the Roman Empire. But it did not necessarily mean he was a popular person. In fact, as a preacher of the gospel, he was arrested. He was beaten almost to the edge of his life. He was imprisoned. In fact, as we see this letter today, the letter to the church at Colossae, Paul is nearing the end of his life. He is sitting in confinement in a prison in Rome. And the reason he is in confinement is because he was arrested as a preacher of the gospel. The Roman Empire, the leadership and the government of the Roman Empire believed that if they could pull him off the streets of the Roman Empire, that he, they could silence the gospel. But they did anything but silence the gospel. From that prison cell, Paul wrote words of encouragement to churches and to individuals. And those letters have come across the ages by God's blessing and God's grace. And, of course, these are God's inspired words through Paul. And they have led millions to Christ and led the church in so many ways to serve and to love the Savior uh, year after year. But in prison... Paul spent his time writing these letters to churches and to individuals. But through those letters, God has spoken to millions of people. Now, as we study Colossians today, we're going to study the closing verses of the book. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 10 through 18 today. Paul is sending greetings from men who are with him to the church to whom he is writing in Colossae. That's, a, that's typical of Paul to send greetings to the people who are around him to the destination where the letter is going to go. If you remember, Colossae is about a thousand miles from Rome. There is a man whose name is Tychicus who's going to carry that letter from Paul's Roman cell on over to the church at Colossae. So Paul is surrounded by some supporters and he sends Colossians greetings from those people who are around him in this prison cell. So last week, we studied two of those ten people who are around him, and that is Tychicus and Onesimus. Today, we're going to look at the next eight of those men who are with him in this prison confinement. So if you would, turn your Bible with me, Colossians chapter 4, go to verse 10, and we're going to read to the end of this letter that Paul sends to the church. Colossians 4, 10. Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers in the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, 
and that ye may likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you. Amen. Well, as we see the close of his letter to the Colossian church, Paul is sending greetings from these ten individuals on over to the Colossian Christians a thousand miles away from these men who are with him as they are there supporting him and encouraging him while he's in prison. That was one of the great points about his imprisonment. Though he was held captive in the city of Rome in confinement, he was allowed to have visitors. He was allowed for people to come to see him. That was one of the graces of God in Paul's life. So we're going to get a thumbnail sketch now of eight individuals who have come to Paul, who are visiting with him uh, in this Roman jail. First of all, Colossians 4, verse 10, mentions Aristarchus. He was a great believer. He was a constant traveling companion with Paul. Aristarchus is mentioned in Acts chapter 19, verse 29, as being with Paul in Ephesus. Paul was not in a great situation in Ephesus. In that particular visit in the Ephesian city, Paul was preaching and a riot arose and Paul almost lost his life there. Uh, It broke out over Paul's ministry. They had to clear out of that territory. Aristarchus was with him during that riot. It was not a pleasant time. Then also in Acts chapter 27, Scripture says that Aristarchus sailed with Paul to Rome. Now, in Acts 27, if it is true, as Scripture says, that Aristarchus was with Paul, this is the time that Paul's ship wrecked and almost sunk. In fact, the ship did sink, no loss, no loss of life, but Aristarchus was with him during the shipwreck. So Aristarchus was with Paul in some uh, pretty hard times, and yet he stuck by his side uh, as even he endured a shipwreck with Paul. Then here in Colossians, Paul calls him a fellow prisoner. Perhaps Aristarchus was also arrested because he was preaching the gospel, or perhaps Aristarchus came and volunteered to be a prisoner so he could be with Paul, so he could bring encouragement to the great missionary as a support to Paul. But Aristarchus is a name that we don't really think about very often. In fact, it may be a brand new name for you, and yet his name is sprinkled throughout the Bible as a great man of God, as a great supporter of the missionary Paul. And he stayed with Paul when the going got the toughest, and he never retreated. He was always by his side as a true brother and a true friend. And now, we move on to someone else. The Bible mentions in also verse 10 here, Colossians 4.10, a man whose name is Marcus. This is John Mark. He's a very important personality of the Bible. He is the one who ultimately wrote the gospel of Mark. Uh, He is a Jewish believer. He lived in Jerusalem. It tells us in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, that his mother in Jerusalem had an open house for believers. So, People of Jesus Christ came to John Mark's mother's home and worshiped Jesus there. Uh, It's interesting that churches were not built until about the third century, and so home worship was basically where all worship took place, just as it is today. Here we are retreating 2,000 years. You're worshiping at home. That's the way the church started out. But John Mark has an interesting history with Paul. 
When Paul and Barnabas were embarking on their first missionary journey, it's described in Acts chapter 13, John Mark or Marcus is with them. Now, it's debatable he's either a nephew or a cousin to Barnabas, but he is with them on that first mission trip. But somewhere around Pamphylia and that first mission trip, the going gets very difficult. Perhaps not much is happening. People are not being saved, but the, but the time is very difficult for the mission team. And according to Scripture, John Mark retreats from the group and goes back home to Mama in Jerusalem. He goes AWOL from the mission team working through that first missionary journey. Well, sometime later, Paul and Barnabas have now sat down. They have completed their first missionary journey, and the second missionary journey now stands before them. They're making plans to go out a second time on a journey. And good old Barnabas, who is the supporter and the encourager and the man of God, he says, let's take John Mark with us. Let's give him another chance on a mission team. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 38, Paul says, Ain't no way I am taking that quitter with us on any more mission trips. I am not taking another quitter. Now, that's not one of the translations that you'll find in your Bible. That is Central Virginia translation by Mike Fitzgerald. Ain't going to take no quitter with me. Well, the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they divided ways. Barnabas insisted to take John Mark with him. Paul said, I'm not going with you, so... They went their separate directions, but the good news is the gospel also traveled in two separate directions. Twice as much got done, it came out of a contention over this young man whose name is Marcus or John Mark. Well, evidently on that trip with Barnabas, John Mark did extremely well. He completed the trip, he finished well, and Paul forgave him. And Paul began to commend him as a minister and a brother and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, John Mark, Marcus here, is a really good witness to every one of us. Our God, thankfully, is the God of second chances. Our God is the God of forgiveness. Our God, when we fail, wants to pick us up and dust us off and give us strength and reset us on the course and say, now go forward. So one failure does not make us quit, but rather praise God. He is a God of second and third and fourth chances as he forgives us and allows us to go on in ministry. Sometime or other, most all of us will need a second chance. So John Mark speaks to me because God has given me more than one second chance in ministry over the years, and I'm thankful for this witness of the Bible. Colossians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul mentions greeting from Jesus, justice. Now, this is a Jewish believer. This is not a reference to Jesus the Christ. This is a reference to a man whose name is Jesus, justice. Jesus is a very common Jewish name. Of course, its Hebrew counterpart name is Joshua, deliverer. But also justice is connected with Jesus' justice. Justice is a Roman or a Gentile name. We don't know anything about Jesus' justice other than his name arrives here as a supporter of the ministry of St. Paul. He's faithful in serving God by being faithful to the great missionary Paul. You know, I would think that uh, 2,000 years ago, if we lived in the days that the, the word was being written, wouldn't it be an honor to serve well and to have your name arrive in Scripture Though we know nothing about Jesus' justice right now, we will meet him one day. 
And he is a great servant of God as he's listed here in the Word of God. Then moving on to Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, we see the name Epaphras. Let's read those verses again. Colossians 4, 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you. So he's writing to the church at Colossae, and he's saying, here's Epaphras, who's one of yours. He's from the church at Colossae, and he's here with me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. That's an interesting point of Scripture here. Epaphras was a member of the church at Colossae. It is very highly likely that not only was he a member, he perhaps was the pastor, perhaps the founder of the church in Colossae. Remember, Paul had never traveled there. Someone had to found the church in Colossae, and it is very likely that Epaphras is the man saved by the ministry of Paul who traveled there and founded the church in Colossae. But he's with Paul in prison as we meet him here. Paul had led him to the Lord. He's gone back to his home area. He's been a minister there in Colossae, in Hierapolis, and also in Laodicea. Those are three cities in a triad. They're basically 20 miles apart from one another. So Epaphras goes back to this triad of cities. Now, Paul is known as a foreign missionary, really. He traveled all over the Roman Empire. There was nowhere that he wouldn't go. He was a pioneer missionary going into all kinds of territory to all kinds of people. But on the other hand, Epaphras was a home missionary. Epaphras was saved by the grace of God through the ministry of Paul, but he went home. And he founded the church, perhaps, in Colossae, and he had some connection with Hierapolis and Laodicea, those three cities where he was a missionary right there in his own home setting. So where Paul took the ministry all over the empire, Epaphras went home and took ministry to his home people, to his family, and to that circle of people that he knew over the years. Epaphras loved the church, and Paul says here that he has a passion and a zeal for the ministry of the church, and that the church, taking the, the, the message of Jesus to his home country, to his home people, that was Epaphras' heart. That's what led Epaphras' life. So he and Paul were a little bit different in that Paul was called to the world, and Epaphras was called home. But they were brothers in service with separate callings on their lives. And Paul recognized that and believed that about his brother Epaphras. Now also in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul sends greetings from Luke, the beloved physician. Uh, we've come to love this man. Luke is a very respected man in his profession. And I want you to take note of this. Write this down if you're taking notes today. The name Luke stands alone in the list of all the authors of the 66 books of the Bible. Luke stands alone. Why is that? Because Luke, writing the gospel of Luke and also the, the history of the church in the book of Acts, so the, the physician Luke wrote Luke and Acts. He is the only Gentile writer within the entire scope of the Bible. All the other writers of the Bible are of Jewish heritage. Luke alone was the one Gentile who had a contribution to the very Word of God. I think that is significant. We need to remember that. Luke wrote those books in your New Testament. And Luke 
remained with Paul to the very end of Paul's life. Again, another fact of his life that's very significant. 2 Timothy is the last letter that we have written by Paul in our New Testament. And in 2 Timothy, verse 4, uh, rather chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, only Luke is with me. So here we are right at the very end of Paul's life before he dies as a martyr of the faith, and he says, only Luke has remained here with me. So Luke, the beloved physician, is also a beloved brother of Paul, the last one to be with him at the end of his life. Now, I want you to notice this. Another interesting character of the Bible in verse 14, Paul simply says, Demas greets you. This is a sad story. Demas is the one sad story in this lineup of men who are with Paul in this Roman prison. Uh, He's mentioned here simply as sending greetings. There's nothing more about his life other than Demas sends you greetings. But he's mentioned three times in Scripture, this being one of them. The second time that he's mentioned in the little letter of Philemon in verse 24, Paul calls him by the positive name of fellow laborer. So Demas has a good name with Paul in this particular phase of life. Of course, you know, Colossians and Philemon are written at about the same time. Tychicus carries both of those letters over to Colossae. Philemon is a member there. And so in these two instances, Paul says he sends you greetings. He also says he's a fellow laborer. But again, remember now, at the very end of Paul's career, the last letter that he writes is 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved the present world. Isn't that a sad end to a ministry? At first, he is with Paul in his prison, but Paul says later on, as he writes the last letter that we know of, he says, Demas has forsaken me. This is right at the end of his life. It is highly likely Demas never came back. He left him, and it broke Paul's heart. He was very hurt about this broken relationship with this brother because he left him in order to go back to the comfort of the world. It speaks to you and me. Sometimes our faith brings us into hardship. You know, this pandemic is just a minor hardship. It kind of displaces our life. It makes us do things in a different way. But it's a rather minor thing that we're going through. It's not a great persecution. But in no sense of the word are we to depart the faith just because we're going through a little hardship. That's what Demas did. It broke Paul's heart. It breaks God's heart when we depart to go back to the comfort of the world and leave our faith in some way that we're supposed to be doing ministry there. So we need to be... uh, falling before the Lord in this day, saying, Lord, how do you continue to use me? I don't want to leave the the faith. I don't want to go back to a comfort of the world. I want to be strong and true and moving forward in how you want to carry me as a man or a woman carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. That's part of our rededication today is that no matter what may come or what uh, insecurity might come or, or what inconvenience might come, that we're going to be faithful to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. And then also, in Colossians 4, verse 15, moving on, Paul sends his greetings to the Christians in the city of Laodicea. Again, one of those sister cities to the church of Colossae. And then Paul gives a very interesting greeting. In the King James Version, he greets a man whose name is Nymphus, who led a church in his house. Now, of course, again, remember, home churches were where the church met. The church buildings had not begun being constructed yet. 
So church buildings not being present meant that Christians gathered in the home. But here's the interesting note. In the King James Version and New King James Version, it's the masculine name Nymphus, and that he has a church gathering in his home. But in other translations of the Bible, Revised Standard Version, New International, uh, English Standard Version, Holman Christian Standard, American Standard Version, the, the name is Nympha, which is a feminine name, and it says that the church gathers in her home. So depending on the translation, depending on the translator, it's either a man or a woman. Does it matter? Really not. Because all of us are called to be ministers of the gospel, male and female alike. We're to be called to the service of the risen Lord. Praise God for those who facilitate worship. Maybe you have a group meeting in your home. Maybe you're teaching a group in a Sunday school class. Maybe you're leading a mission uh, endeavor of the church. In some way, you're leading the people of God. Praise God for those of you, men and women, who open your homes to the gospel, who teach, who lead, who give your life to the service of Jesus Christ, who invest all that you have in your talents, uh, in your time, and in, in, in your uh, financial giving so that the gospel will continue to go forward. Men and women alike are needed in the kingdom of God and in his work. Do your part in that ministry, whoever you are and however God gives you talent. And then here's something that ties into that. Look at the end of the letter, Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, read this letter aloud to the church at Colossae, and also he says, send it to your neighboring church at Laodicea and read it there. And then he makes another comment. He says, likewise, at the, or, uh, at the end of verse 16, likewise, read the epistle from the Laodiceans to the church at Colossae. He's referring to a letter that we do not have. For whatever reason, God did not see fit to put it in his holy word. So there's a letter to the Laodiceans that we do not have, but Paul refers to it here. Now, look at verse 17. This is an interesting verse in itself. Colossians 4, 17 and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. So here is a man whose name is Archippus, and Paul is sending direction. He's saying, Archippus, you have talent in the way that you are to serve the Lord, and I am sending you word that you are to fulfill that ministry. You're to use your talent and fulfill the ministry that God has given to you. Don't let it sit idle. Don't push it on the side burner. Right now, pull that talent up, pull that ministry up, and you be active in what God wants you to do. Fulfill the ministry that God has given to you. Boy, do we need to continue to encourage that kind of word in the people of God. Every one of us, as a believer, as a child of God, has some call to ministry. Your call is different from my call. All of us are different. All of us have different blends of talents. But every one of us is constructed by God. We're hardwired by God when we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior to be his minister. So my word to you today is the same word that Paul sent to Archippus. Whatever your ministry is, you are called to, you are commissioned to, you are directed to fulfill your calling, fulfill your ministry. Whatever God calls you to do, make it an active fulfillment of that calling. Don't push it to the side. Don't say it'll wait till later. Do it today. Begin today. Rededicate your life today to fulfilling the ministry that Jesus Christ has hardwired you to do. And that's true for me as well as he recalls me to that. And finally, look at verse 18, the last 
verse of the day and the last verse of the letter. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. It was very customary for Paul to dictate his letter to a secretary, and the secretary would write it down. Actually, the, the fancy word for the secretary of that day was emanuensis. So write that word down. The secretary was an emanuensis. And so Paul dictates the letter to that secretary, to that emanuensis, and then he takes the pen in his hand at the very last statement of the letter because he wants to authenticate it. He wants to prove that it actually is coming from him. So Paul takes the pen in his own hands, and he writes the last sentence of the letter. Here at the end of the letter, he's personally writing, saying, that's his trademark to prove that the letter is real. And he says, remember me. Remember me in your prayers. Here's one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. Here's one of the most independent, strong-willed, strong-minded men who ever lived. And he's asking his brothers and sisters in a church, remember me in prayer. Remember me for strength. Remember me that God will keep me strong and continuing in the task however long he gives me. And Paul's days are drawing down here, and he knows that. He's going to die as a martyr of the faith right there in Rome. But he's asking the church, pray for me. Pray that the Lord will continue to use me every day that I have ahead of me. And he says, remember me here in my bondage in Rome. And he says, God's grace be with you, church. We're brothers and sisters together, and I want God to continue to lead you and bless you and guide you. Well, at the end of this letter, it's a testimony, I believe, to the lesser-known people of the Bible, these ten names, names that we don't go across every day. Uh, and we hardly ever think about these people like Aristarchus and Archippus. And yet, though they're not major players in the word of the Bible, though they're not the stars of Scripture, their ministry is so vitally important. And Paul lets the church know that, that these people are so vital to his ministry and brothers and sisters in Christ who are sharing ministry with him. They are absolutely needed in the church and needed in the gospel to the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their names are not everyday names. We don't think about them every day, but they're so very important to going forward in the ministry of Christ. You know, the, the, the world needs the big names. The world needs the Pauls and the Peters and the Moses and the Davids and the Martin Luthers and the Billy Grahams. Those names stand out as huge ministries in the world. But friends, the Lord's work needs you and me. The, the Lord's work cannot reside only in the stars and the large names, but rather every one of us is so important to the work of God. Whether you're, you consider your contributions to the faith to be large or small, no matter what you might feel about your ministry, no matter how insignificant you might think you are, believe me, you are not insignificant in the gospel of Jesus Christ. However God calls you to take that ministry to the world, he wants you to be effective in that. There is no insignificant ministry in the eyes of God. Every act is important. Every gift of a cup of cold water, every outreach, every telephone call, whatever it is, everything is important in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to remember this. One day, by the Bible's word, this doesn't come from my mind. This is not something that I've imagined or something that I think is going to happen. This is from God's word. 
The word tells us that one day every one of us is going to look our Savior face to face in the eye. Every one of us is going to have a personal moment of reckoning with him. And here's what I believe. The moment we meet him as a believer in the Lord Jesus, the moment we meet him as his son or his daughter, he's going to remind us of our ministry. And I believe he's going to remind us of some of the most insignificant things that we ever did that made a difference in someone's life. Maybe things that we don't even remember. A smile that we gave to someone who communicated the love of Christ, which led them to a deeper walk with him. Something as insignificant as that will be remembered by the Savior because he used you, he used me to make a mark on someone's life. Remember, he, he remembered a little widow who was just faithful with two pennies at the temple. She never knew he saw her. She never knew on this earth that Jesus had called attention of his disciples to her and said, watch her, she's going to be faithful with two pennies. And in the same way, you and I might do things every day, and we think nobody's ever going to know this, nobody's ever going to see this. Oh, yes, oh, yes, indeed, Jesus will see it. And Jesus will remember it. And I believe one day Jesus will recount even the most insignificant thing we did to lead someone to his love. He will remember your smallest act of kindness, your smallest act of love, your smallest step forward in the gospel, giving it to someone else. So, believer, no matter who you are, no matter if you feel your name and your life is big or insignificant in this world, it's important to Jesus. It's important to the ministry of his church. It's important in leading a lost world to the Savior. We are so important in the kingdom's work. Whoever we are, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're important in the kingdom's work. Don't allow your ministry to lie idle. Don't push it to the side. Don't put it on a side burner. Do it now. Fulfill your ministry because every one of us is so very important to the ministry of Christ in this world. Be faithful, believer. Even in the tiniest act, be faithful, believer. I pray today that you and I will rededicate our lives, that we will be who God wants us to be. Very quickly, let me tell you this. Years ago, there was a man in this church named Haywood Wheeler, and when I asked what I needed to do to change in order to be the pastor here, he said, you just be who you are. And that's exactly what I want to say to you. As a believer in the Lord Jesus, you be who you are. Use the talents he's given you, and you lead this world to Jesus with me. Let's walk out together in rededication that we're going to do our ministry in the way that honors and pleases the Savior. One last thing today, if, if, uh, if you've never come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today, if you will come and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose from the grave for me. I want to ask you to be my Lord, my God, my Savior. It's an act that he will never forget. It's a commitment that he will never forget for all eternity. As this moment, you become his son or his daughter, wherever you are. Most of the time, I ask people to come down the aisles and meet us at the altar today. I can't really do that today, but I can say this. Meet Jesus at the altar of your heart. And if you will give your life to him, he will give eternal life to you as his son or his daughter. He will do the exact same thing for you that he did for me so many years ago when I gave my heart to him. God bless you in that. God bless us as we worship together and as we give him our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments that we come before you, thinking about some of the lesser-known people of the Bible, and yet their ministry was so vitally important. Bless us today as we surrender to you our ministries, our lives, our church. 
that no matter what the day might bring, right now in the middle of a pandemic, no matter what the day might bring, that we will still be your church. The church is the church no matter what the day will bring. Help us to serve you. Bless that one who needs Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as he or she simply says yes to the Lord today. Thank you that you meet us just as we are and where we are. Bless that one in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.